Jesus is alive today. For real, Jesus is alive today. It is Palm Sunday, and it is a Sunday of celebration for us, and we look forward to that. But for the disciples, Palm Sunday, whether they understood it or not, kicked off the most confusing week of their lives. And they had already been on quite the journey with Jesus. And they had heard about Jesus. They had been curious about Jesus. They had explored about who Jesus was. They had tried to get as close as they could. They came to the place where they made a commitment to Jesus. And man, were there some great days. They were on the front row for some of the most amazing events that have ever happened in history. They got to be with Jesus when he was teaching. They got to be with Jesus when he was doing miracles. They got to pass out the, the bread and the fish. They got to collect the leftover bread and the fish. Every time somebody wanted to talk to Jesus, the easiest way it was was to go through one of them. They had a backstage pass to all of it, and they, I think if they, being human like, like we are, I think sometime they basked on how close they got to be to Jesus and think, man, this is fantastic. Wonderful, wonderful days. But someplace in that process, in that three years with Jesus, there began to be some tensions that would begin to erupt. They began to realize that not everybody thought Jesus was the greatest thing that ever happened. And they began to see some of the people that they respected, some of the people maybe in their family, some of the people that they were used to looking up to as teachers and, and people of authority began to criticize Jesus. And they began to feel that tension wherever they went. And they began to realize that, man, this is a little bit tricky being here with Jesus because not everyone is excited. In fact, it got to the place that they began to be concerned about their own safety. In fact, on one time, Jesus makes a decision that it's time to go to Bethany, which is just on the outside of Jerusalem, which is the hotbed of the place where Jesus re received the most opposition and Jesus announces to the disciples, we're going to Bethany. And one of the disciples says, all right, guys, I guess we all go die together. That was the level of concern that they had. And then they arrive here at Holy Week. They arrive here for Palm Sunday, and there's a triumphant entry. And they're like, well, maybe we were wrong about this. Maybe this is going to go better than we thought. Look at all of these people who recognize Jesus, who celebrate Jesus. Man, this, oh, maybe all of the dreams, all the things that we imagined, they're about to happen. And then the tensions erupt again and there's just this squabbling in and around the temple and people trying to trick Jesus into saying something that would make him less popular and then they get to the celebration of the Passover in the upper room and Jesus begins talking about somebody at that table betraying them. They go out to the Garden of Gethsemane and you can just feel the weight and the heaviness that's going on in that evening. And then all of a sudden, some soldiers appear. Judas comes up and kisses Jesus. Jesus is arrested, and he is carried off to be tried by every important person in Jerusalem. And in these moments, these disciples, they scatter in the chaos. You know, I think that they kind of look at it and say, man, I don't know that this is what we signed up for. Can you, 
Can you kind of have any sense of that in, in your life as well? Maybe there's a little similarity in your own spiritual life where there was a season of curiosity about Jesus. There was a moment of commitment to Jesus. There was a season when walking with Jesus was so great and so awesome and it was fantastic and you couldn't wait to tell everybody about Jesus and this was the strongest thing in your life. But somehow, some way, sometime, you began to feel... Wow, the more I do the Jesus thing, the more tension and pushback I get in other places. And, and it just wasn't quite as easy as it once had been. And as much as you know that Jesus is good, man, it's easier sometimes when I do the non-Jesus things and I hang out in the non-Jesus ways. And, and this tension is really kind of weighing on me. And maybe it's even possible that there are some events that unfold in your life that are so disappointing and so hard that you ask the question, is this really what I signed up for? And maybe you kind of start looking for a door and saying, listen, I, I'm just going to go out quietly, but I don't know whether this is for me anymore. You have to wonder what that felt like for those disciples there on the front row. Once again, they're seeing all of these things. They had imagined a celebration. They had imagined a coronation. They had imagined all kind of important roles and fames for everybody there. And that Jesus was going to turn the world upside down. And he was going to make everything right, right then. And then all of a sudden, he's arrested. The enemies are winning. And the disciples just scatter. What did it feel like in those moments? I have good news this morning. I have good news that the disciples needed to know then that we need to know now. And here's the good news this morning. The good news this morning is that Jesus always knew that he would rise again. Jesus always knew that he would rise again. You see, one of the issues is the disciples feel like the wheels are coming off here. We, we are losing control. But Jesus always knew that he would rise again. In fact, what I wanted you to hear this morning in the scripture reading is I wanted you to hear just a sampling of all the times that Jesus had told them expressly, clearly, sincerely, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be turned over to the opponents. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be buried. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. He said it to them over and over and over again. But they didn't like hearing it. In fact, one of the things that I found interesting in this week is I, I wanted to find as many of these passages as I possibly could is to read the verses around these passages. When Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise on the third day, what happens next in that conversation? Well, in one case, in Matthew chapter 16, Peter says to Jesus, listen, you're going to really need to find some different talking points. Uh, Jesus, you're, you're really making everybody uncomfortable with this conversation. Let's, let's talk about other things. There are so many other things that we could be talking about, Jesus. Let's talk about all those other things. And Jesus responds to that and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because he was trying to take Jesus off of his path. In other places that I think are 
it's hard to be worse than that. But, but I think another area of difficulty is that when Jesus says, listen, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be tried, I'm going to be... Uh, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be buried, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. There are times that Jesus says that, and the disciples act like he never said anything at all. One time he looks them in the eyes and says, listen, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be buried, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. They're like, you know what, that reminds us, what does the whole prophecy of Elijah mean? Wait, wait, you didn't hear what he just said? That what he just said is a pretty big deal. Another time... Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be buried. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. And Mrs. Zebedee walks up in that moment and says, listen, when things really land where they're supposed to land, how about my boys? Can we get some jobs for my boys? James and John, could you put them in the highest ranking places that you can put them? Did you just not hear what Jesus said? He said that he is going to die which is kind of, a, kind of a big deal. And then he said, I'm going to rise again on the third day. Also a really, really big deal. And sometimes when Jesus said that, it just runs right over people's heads. A couple other times there's a response that when Jesus says it, it says that their hearts were disturbed. Now, there's a part of that that I can understand because what Jesus is talking about is some, some really big deal, wild kind of stuff. But I also want you to hear what Jesus is saying is that he is about to conquer sin and death. And that is the least disturbing thing that we can ever hear. Jesus always knew that he would rise again. He told them. He kept telling them. And sometimes they heard it. Sometimes they argued with it. Sometimes they ignored it. Sometimes they just didn't know how to feel about it. But he told them over and over and over again. And they seemed to have missed it every single time. Now, you and I have an advantage. We live on this side of the resurrection. And so we can say with authority and confidence that Jesus is alive today for real. But the disciples lived on the other side of the resurrection. And when Jesus told them about the resurrection that was about to happen, they missed it. But I also want us to look this morning because I think it's possible that we can undervalue the significance that Jesus told them about the resurrection before it happened. It wasn't random. It didn't just happen. Jesus told them again and again, I know what is coming. So what difference does that make in our lives today? Well, what difference does it make that Jesus always knew that he would rise again? The first thing, and I think you should see this, is that Jesus saw the trouble ahead. Jesus saw the trouble again. He saw the grueling and he saw the glorious. He saw the grave and he saw the miracle. And while the disciples felt panic, how is this happening? We are so unprepared. We're not ready for this. Everything is out of control. While the disciples felt the panic, Jesus always saw what was coming. Jesus always knew what was coming. Even better than his enemies. 
In this final week of Jesus' life, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, those that are opposed to him, those who are intimidated by him, those that are jealous of him, those who are not willing to abide by what he has to say, are saying, we got to deal with this Jesus. we we got to find a way to solve this because this just keeps growing and growing. We keep waiting for it to peter out, and no, no pun intended, we, we keep waiting for it to, to go away, and, and, it, and it doesn't go away. So we're going to have to do something about this. But they said, not during Passover. There's too many people around. We're going to deal with Jesus, but we're going to deal with it quietly so nobody will notice. Listen, Jesus had a stronger grip on the timetable than even the people who were wanting to take his life. Jesus saw the trouble ahead. He could see what was coming. He was completely prepared. I would tell you this morning that he's not surprised by the things that unfold in your life either. You know, I think that there's many a story that we could tell, even if we just look at the last 12 months of some of the journeys and some of the things that we've been through and some of the hardships that you have walked through in the last 12 months. And some of them have been really, really hard. But what I want you to know is that Jesus was not surprised by the difficulties that he was about to face. And he is not surprised by the difficulties that you have faced or that you're about to face. I want you to know, in fact, that Jesus was prepared for every single one of them. And he had been taking time to prepare the disciples for them by telling them, this is what's going to happen. And he was equipping them and preparing them for that. And I want you to know that in the same way, it is possible that the thing that you're, it is is for certain that the thing that you're going through right now, Jesus has prepared you for. He has given you his presence. He has given you his word. He has given you his strength. He has given you his people. He has given you his spirit inside of you. And he has prepared you so that you have everything that you need for this thing that you're walking through right now. I would say it's possible that there are some things that are on the horizon, some things that are coming, and that I will tell you that those we are unprepared for those things. But that's why he's doing some things in our life right now. I would tell you that in this moment, this hour, Jesus may be at work in your life preparing you for something great, something hard, something different, something that you cannot see. But he is at work preparing you for that right now. In fact, there are times that we sometimes get stuck in a season and say, boy, this is the most boring, uninteresting season of my life. I'm in a grind. I'm in a rut. I can't get out of it. Let me tell you, it may be that what's happening is that in this moment, this hour, he is building you up for what is to happen next. Jesus saw the trouble that was ahead. I would also tell you that Jesus is not afraid of the worst. Jesus is not afraid of the worst. Do any of you have the spiritual gift of being able to identify the worst case scenario? Anybody have that spiritual gift? Uh, I came across this book uh, several years ago, and it's in the bookstores all the time. Michael was even talking about it. He's got the board game edition of this game, of this book. It's called The Worst Case Scenario Survival 
handbook, and I've picked this up and I've looked at it a, a couple of times, and it just has expert advice for extreme situations, such as what happens if you drive your car into the canal and your car gets submerged. You know what it's like. You're driving next to the canal, even though that there's a fence, there's a guardrail, there's a lot of different distance, and because you've been able to drive in a straight line for a long time in your life, it still crosses your mind, well, what happens if we were to jump the rail and we would land in there? The book tells you how you're supposed to handle uh, that situation. Uh, the book also has a situation of what do you do if you face an alligator. Now, I don't know if those two chapters are next to each other because if you jump the rail and you land up in the canal, you get out of the car, it could be the worst case scenario that's waiting for you there is an alligator. Growing up in Florida, what you do is you zig and you zag because they're fast, but they, they only do straight lines. Zig, zag, zig, zag. That's what you do if you face the worst case of an an alligator on your way home today after all of this rain and stuff like that. But there is this book, and, and it's so popular that there are lots of different editions. In fact, they have side topics that says uh, worst case scenario, travel, worst case scenario, parenting. Anyone raise your hand on that? Worst case scenario, wedding, worst case scenario, college, worst case scenario, middle school, worst case scenario, golf, worst case scenario, holidays, and many more different titles because we worry what if the worst thing that could happen happens. Well, let me tell you, when Jesus saw what was to unfold, when Jesus saw what was coming, not only did he see what was next, but what was next was in fact the worst. That's what he was about to see. It was no small thing. See, most of the time, you and I live our lives, we think about what would be the worst case scenario, and the reality is we don't even get to the sixth worst scenario. But for Jesus, this week in Jerusalem, these days, this experience, the rejection and betrayal of one of his disciples the fleeing of the rest of his disciples, the public humiliation, the beating, the torture, his execution, his burial. That's, that's the worst. Even in the middle of that, there is something that happens on that cross where Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I want you to know that Jesus sees what's coming and he is not afraid of the worst. Now, how is it that you can face the worst and not be afraid? I'll tell you how. It's because you know that you have victory over anything and everything this world has to offer. You see, we are afraid of the impact of things such as sin and death and what Jesus knows is that what he's going to do is on that cross, he is going to defeat sin and he is going to defeat death. And so that we can sing, oh, death, where is your sting? Because Jesus has taken it away. He has faced the worst. And he has stood in front of an empty tomb victorious. When Jesus knew that he was going to rise again, that knew that he could face the worst and he could be victorious. Now, that doesn't take away from the fact that it was hard. Just because he could face the worst does not make light of the heaviness, the weight, the difficulty, the anguish, the pain that he was about to go through. We get a little window into that experience when we see Jesus there in the garden. And he steps away from the disciples 
so that he can fall on the ground and pour out his heart in anguish as he knows all that is about to happen, all that is happening, all that is coming. And he says to his heavenly father, if there's any other way, let's take the other way. If there's any other way to do the things that need to be done, let's choose the other way. But he says, not my will be done, but yours. And he yields his life to face the worst because he will overcome the worst. Let me tell you, you may be walking through something hard. You may be about to face something hard. You, you, you may still be bearing the scars, the bruises, and the bumps of some hard things in your life, but I want you to know that he has overcome the worst for him and he has overcome the worst for you. And he has equipped you and he will walk with you through the hardest of places. For some of you that resonates because you can look back six months, you can look back six years and say, that's true. That's true. That's been my experience. Some of you walk into this moment and say, I hope that's true because I'm in that moment right now. Let me tell you, he has overcome the worst in his life and he has the power to help you overcome the worst of this life as well. But here's my favorite part. I've been waiting all morning to tell you this. Why does it matter that Jesus knew that he would rise again? What difference does that make? Because it tells us that Jesus keeps his promises. It tells us that Jesus keeps his promises. We live in a world of unkept promises. Is that true or is that just me? Uh, it feels like we live in a world of unkept promises. Every product on the shelf in the grocery store <laughs> is basically an unkept promise. I've looked at the pictures. If I eat this, I'll look like I have not looked like that yet. I've listened to politicians campaign and make promises. I've listened to people in my life tell me, I'll always be there for you. I'll do this or I'll deliver this. It's a whole it's a whole scrap heap of unkept promises. I try to think, why is that? Well, I came up with a list. Here's the, here's the first one. We, we live surrounded by unkept promises because some people, they're liars. It's not hard. They just lie. You know how you can tell they're lying? Because their lips are moving. They're, they're, they're lies. It's just what they do. There are some people who lie not because of there's evil or darkness inside of their heart. They just think that the easiest way around some things is just to tell you what you want to hear. And, and for you, they're, they're, they're going to kind of bend the truth a little bit because they just think it's going to be easier for you if you just hear an imaginary version of the truth instead of what's real. But I think there's another category. There are times, and I'll be honest with you, I'm pretty certain I'm on this list as well. There are times that we make promises out of the most right places of our life and the most right places out of our heart, but circumstances overwhelm what our promise was. 
I'm going to deliver this. I'll do this. I'll never do this. But the circumstances were bigger than our ability to deliver on our promises. Which is the reason why Jesus saying, I will rise again, is such a big deal. You want to talk about circumstances that are pretty hard to overcome? Jesus is delivering on his promises while he is dead. That's overcoming. I love the fact that he said, I'm going to rise in three days. He said, time me. Put a stopwatch on it. Put a sundial on it. Three days. You don't have to wait a week. You don't have to say this is sometime, some way, somehow. Three days time. And he delivers on that promise. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels is the story when there, there is the man who has lost the ability to walk and he has four friends that are trying to get him to Jesus. And so they try to come up to the front door and the crowd is so big that they, they can't get in. And so they're trying to figure it out and they try to get attention and they just can't. And so they come up with the idea, let's go into the top of the roof and they go to the top of the roof and they start pulling off the ceiling tiles and the roof substance and it's raining, you know, just debris all over the people who wouldn't let them in. I think they kind of chuckled about that. Like, hey, you didn't let us in. You're going to have this stuff picking out of your hair for the rest of the week. Uh, and, and, and they finally lower him down. And now he has the attention of Jesus and basically the attention of every person in that room. And Jesus says to this man on the mat who came in hoping to be able to walk. He looks at that man and says, your sins are forgiven. Now again, I don't know what that man felt. I'm pretty sure that the first thing that was on his mind was, actually, I came here for the legs. That I came here for the physical healing. Now, it may be that, that he had been struggling with some things spiritually and he was deeply aware of some brokenness in his life. And so there may have been a sense of great joy in his life. But just about everybody in the room was like, what? He didn't ask for forgiveness of sin. And in fact, there, there's a group of people in that room that say, how dare he? How dare he forgive sins? He doesn't have the authority to do that. How, how, how did he do this? And so Jesus says to them, so that you may know that I have the authority to forgive sins, pick up your mat and walk. You see, what Jesus did is he used the visible miracle to prove the invisible miracle. He used the visible authority, the thing that everybody could see to let them know that he had the power and the authority and the strength and the intention of making changes that you could not even see. He used the small miracle to prove the large miracle. Let me tell you, what difference does it make that Jesus says, I will rise again on the third day, and then that he does rise again on the third day? It means you can trust him with every other promise that he gives you. And he promises to forgive you of your sins, you can count on it because Jesus is alive today for real. He promises to be present in your life. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will be with you 
You can count on it because Jesus is alive today for real. He promises the Spirit of God to come dwell inside of us. You can count on it because Jesus is alive today for real. He promises that when we die, if we are in Christ, that we will be resurrected with him and we will live with the Father forever. You can count on it because Jesus is alive today for real. You can count on him because he fulfills his promises that no one else can fulfill. So now what? Well, what do we do with this information? The one thing that we didn't talk about is the why. The one thing that we didn't really unpack is why. Because here's the thing. If a person has the ability to be resurrected from the dead, he also has the ability to skip over crucifixion. If he has the ability to defeat death, he has the ability to avoid death. If he has the power to be raised from the dead, he has the ability to skip this whole thing. So why didn't he? He didn't because of that prayer there in the garden. He said, is there any other way? And the answer was no. The only way that he could accomplish his mission, his purpose, his goal, his assignment, the deepest desire was that he would die on the cross for a covering, a ransom, a forgiving of our sins. He could have chosen to skip the whole thing. There was no circumstance that he was going to be backed into that he didn't have control or to victory over. But because he desired for me to be in him and for him to be in me, he chose to walk through all of that and conquer sin and death because of what he desired for my life and what he desires for your life. Take that in. The one who could have avoided it all chose to walk through it all so that you could be in Christ. Sometimes we get lonely, sometimes we get discouraged, and sometimes we think nobody loves me, nobody cares about me, no one has ever done anything for me. Hear me, the one who never had to die chose to die for you. That's a pretty big deal. And so I would encourage you that if you are in Christ, that you walk with gratitude, strength, encouragement, hope. Know that this God would go to this length for you. Walk differently because of what Jesus has done. But I would also say that it's possible this morning that as much as we talk about what it's like for, for you to be in Christ and for Christ to be in you, that's never an experience that you've ever had. And you've kind of heard about Christ from the outside looking in, and you hear about him all the time. You hear people talk about him. You sing about him, and, 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 you, and you read about him. But you've never had this experience that we talk about of being in Christ and Christ being in you. The Word of God says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. If you call upon his name, 
you will be saved. Here's the reality. Jesus Christ died for you. But you have to ask for that inside of your own life. If you will recognize that you need it and that you want it, anyone who calls for it will receive it. If you desire for your life to live under his authority and under his grace, he will save you in this moment for today, tomorrow, all of next month, and for all of eternity. And if that's something you've never experienced in your life today, man, would you hear that? Would you hear that? This is what Jesus has done for you, and the door is wide open. All you have to say is, I want that in my life. Let me pray for you.